great to see you all this morning, and uh, Sandy and I are glad to be back. Um, I asked you to pray for us last week. We were going to the skinniest part of a state in all of the United States. If you looked it up on a map, I'm sure you were surprised that a state could be that skinny. Um, there's one spot there where I think you could drive across it in five minutes, um, and when you're driving along on the interstate, you're afraid that maybe your left side is going to scrape West Virginia and your right side is going to scrape Pennsylvania. Uh, but we had a great time there, and uh, we're glad to be back. Now, let me again explain what we're doing. We're preaching through the book of Philippians, and uh, I will finish up the uh, first chapter this morning. But then uh, we will, um, for the next six weeks, uh, your very capable and wonderful assistant pastors will be preaching. That's the next six weeks, and they will preach through the second chapter and the third chapter. Uh, and that's because, uh, well, we'll see, we'll be in Philadelphia, uh, and then we'll be in Peoria, Illinois, and then we'll be in Atlanta, and then we will be in uh, St. Louis, and then we'll be in Colorado Springs, and then we'll be in the BVI. Now, uh, the first five are preaching. If you don't know what the BVI is, ask me afterwards, but I will assure you that's a vacation. That's not uh, preaching situations. If you think about it, uh, pray for us. That's um, a lot of preaching and, and a lot of responsibility. We want God to bless in that. And Pray for your assistants as they take you through the second chapter and the third chapter of Philippians. Our text for this morning is Philippians chapter 1. I'll begin reading with verse 21. This is the word of God. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, which means Fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and the joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightening anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let us respond to God's word together. All grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we do come before your word, and we acknowledge that it is special. We've just declared it together. Everything else fades, but this will last for eternity. So we come now asking that you will bless us as we look at this passage, uh, that we might hear from you, 
that you would speak to us, that we might be strengthened in our faith, that we might love you more and love your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, more, that we might be captured, that is, our hearts captured, more by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder, what, what is it that you desire most of all? When you, when you think about your faith and you think about being a Christian, what do you want most uh, from your Christian faith? Maybe it is that you need wisdom, you need guidance. We all do. Uh, maybe you need protection. You want God to be a fortress in your life. And the Bible talks about that. And, and thank goodness that we have a place where we can flee and, and we can find that kind of uh, protection. Maybe you want to, uh, guidance uh, because uh, you feel like life right now is a little muddled and uh, you're trying to figure out how to, how to operate and how to, how to respond to the things in your life and so on. Uh, maybe you just need help. You're not even sure why you need help, but you need help. A lot of reasons that we might exercise our faith. We're going to look at one verse really this morning, and that is verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And while all of those things are important, it seems to me that Paul says there's something more basic, more foundational, that we, would, that we should want out of our faith, and that is that we want God in our life. We want to know Jesus Christ more. We want that to be the foundation of our life. We want in many ways, for God to fill up our life so that he is king and he is Lord, that he is central, that he is the most important thing in our life. If I were going to sum up Paul's words very simply, I would just say, Paul wants Christ not just to be in his life, but to be his life. Do you see the difference? Not to be in his life, but really to be his life. That that everything revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I think he's saying. And that's what I believe uh, is the emphasis of this verse. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Now we're going to look at both parts of that. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. We're going to spend about 80 to 85% of this sermon though on the first part. And I might surprise you. You might think we should spend most of it on the second part, gain. I think I'll make it clear why I'm spending 85 and 15% that way. But you remember the last few times I've uh, preached here, I've been talking about this biography I've been reading of Helen Rosevear. She is one of my favorite people. I've read her actual autobiographies before. Uh, but I finally finished. Remember, Helen is this... Uh, a British citizen, medical doctor, surgeon, who went to the, to the Belgian Congo. And there uh, she went so she could build a hospital, a training program for medical um, evangelism within the country and so on. But she really became a hero when she was a speaker at the Urbana Missions Conference. You may know about that conference. It happens every three years. In the past, there would be 3,000 college students that would go there during their Christmas break to hear about world evangelism and to be encouraged to get involved in God's work around the world and so on. 
And Helen said that when she was first invited to go there, she felt a little out of place because the other speakers happened to be Billy Graham to start out with, and then John Stott and Elizabeth Elliot, you know. And, and she thought, my goodness, you know, what did, why did they even invite me? But she, she was popular. In fact, in some ways, she was more popular than those big names. And the reason was is because when she spoke to these college students, she was so transparent, so open, so honest in her testimony. She didn't flower it up at all, you know. She would, she would say it was amazing that I was able to build the medical program that I did, but I certainly didn't expect, expect all the red tape that blocked just about everything I tried to do. Uh, she said, I, I was amazed that I could build this big training hospital in Nayan Kunde, but I certainly didn't think it would be destroyed by Hema soldiers, and not only was the hospital totally destroyed, but 1,000 people were killed when they attacked the hospital and the surrounding community. Her two biographies, autobiographies, are named, Give Me This Mountain, and He Gave Us a Valley. You get it? That's her life. But right before she died, she wrote this. This is what I want to leave as I leave this world. This is what I want you to think about. All of us have the privilege of being called by Christ to be his servants. All of us. We are only following our Lord who came to serve and not to be served. So if I could leave you with one thing, it would be live for Christ. Put Christ first. Doesn't that sound like our text today? For me to live as Christ, whatever you do. It's not whether you're going to become famous, she would say. It's not whether you're going to become this kind of evangelical uh, hero that she did become. It's not that I became a household name. She said, let me tell you why I went to the Congo. I thought I went to bring modern medicine there. I thought I went to bring a lot of people to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and those things were certainly important. But she said, when I look back at that experience, I realized I went to the Congo so that Jesus could find me. In other words, for me to live is Christ. Whatever happens, whatever God does in my life, the most important thing is that I know Christ and that he knows me. That when we talk about grace, when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about Christianity, we're not talking about a thing. We're not talking about a commodity. We're not talking about a philosophy. We're talking about a person. A living person. The second person of the Trinity who wants to come and, as it were, fill our life so that he is our life. I want to know Christ For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, you know that C.S. Lewis was deeply invested in fairy tales. After all, a lot of secular people that don't know much about his faith still like him because of the Narnia tales, Uh, and there's even been some theater presentations of it and so on. Do you know that that C.S. Lewis loved fairy tales because he thought in a way they were a reflection of the gospel? 
In fact, he thought that maybe all those fairy tales about people that are in terrible need, but somebody comes to rescue them, that all of those actually grew out of the story of the gospel. He would say that we're all Cinderella's. We're all Snow White's. We're all Rapunzel's. We're lost. (laughs) We got a problem. We're in desperate need. We're in trouble. We need a prince to come and rescue us. And then he would say, and he's come. The Lord Jesus Christ is our rescuer. He's our prince. And that's what Paul is saying. For me to live as Christ. That if I'm going to experience what it really means to be truly human, if I'm going to experience what it means to live life as I've been created to live, if I'm going to live so that everything finds true meaning and true purpose, I'm going to have to have Christ at the center of my life because he's the source of all life. You know, you look at this pulpit right here and you can pound on it. I'm not a very good pulpit pounder, but maybe I should learn. But the thing looks pretty solid, doesn't it? Yet we know that, in fact, it's mostly all space. And there are these highly charged particles that are held together by very strong forces that make it look like it's solid. I know it's hard to believe, (laughs) but I guess it's true. I'm not an expert on quantum physics, but that's what they tell us. Or yesterday. Yesterday, did you know what happened? The sun went in to the southern hemisphere. Yesterday. Yesterday was the fall equinox. Now, that only happens because the earth is tilted at a particular degree of 23 and a half degrees. Now, do you know that if we just took off the third, I mean a half, if, if it was just tilted a little less, everything would get cold and, and the whole place would freeze up? And if we just went a half a degree more and made it 24 degrees, everything would burn up? I mean, how did it get so perfect? God is in control. And I think that we can say that it is Christ. Colossians 1, 15, 16, and 17 says, All things were created through him. All things were created for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. I don't know, again, how this works or this works. But I know that somehow Christ is in that. It all is for him. And he holds it all together. So when Paul says, for me to live is Christ, he's saying, first of all, that when we believe in him, we've placed ourselves in him. It's more than intellectual assent. It's even more than saying the Apostles' Creed like we've already done this morning. That's important, of course. But it's, it's giving myself to him. It's giving myself to him so that he is my life. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ gives me understanding. He helps me to integrate my life, to evaluate and live under his loving lordship. And that's what makes all the difference in the world. My three favorite missionaries of all time are David Brainerd. He died in 1747 at the age of 29. Henry Martin 
He died in 1812 at the age of 31. And then Jim Elliott, well, he died in 1956 at the age of 28. Did you get that? 29, 31, and 28. How can they be my favorites? Well, there are a lot of people's favorites. More people went into the mission field during sort of our lifetime because of those three men than any other three men in church history. Period. Think about that. How could that be? One died at 29, one died at 31, and one died at 28. How could they be so famous? Do you know that there are six towns in the United States named Brainerd? There are a lot more famous people, and yet how could there be six towns named after this man that some of us don't even know? Well, because all three did one thing. They all wrote diaries. And we got those diaries, and we read those diaries, and those diaries have literally changed many people's lives, myself included, and have changed church history more than most people because of those diaries. Now, what is different or what is special about those diaries? Just one thing. It's all about Christ. It's all about the fact that Christ has captured these three men's hearts. When you read those diaries, it's like you're in the presence of Christ. When you get through those diaries, your life can't be the same. They can't be the same. Why? Because your heart is gripped, not with David Brainerd, not with Henry Martin, not with Jim Elliot. Your life is gripped by the Lord Jesus Christ because these men valued Christ above everything else. These men counted following him the most important thing, and at all costs, they would do it till their lives were taken, in their case, at a very young age. So we believe in Christ. That is, we give ourselves to him for me to live as Christ. Secondly, we have fellowship with Christ. Some of you know who George Beverly Shea is. Uh, He was that baritone uh, who sang with Billy Graham, uh, and uh, some people, they got more out of George Beverly Shea than they got out of Billy Graham, you know. Uh, do you know his story? With this great voice, uh, he was struggling in some kind of insurance office, and, and he wanted to get out of there. He was not very happy with that occupation, and he got an opportunity to go to New York and sing on Broadway because of that voice. But right at that time, his mother, who would put poems, Christian poems all around the house. She put a poem on his piano. It was a poem by Ray Miller. The poem was this, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus in houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. And he would get up. Well, that became his theme song, I should tell you that, first of all. That became his theme song, but he would give up and give his testimony and say, that poem, and that song, by the way, he wrote the music to it, that poem changed my life because I made a choice. I'd rather have Christ than anything else. 
For to me, to live is Christ. I would rather be in love with him than this world. Now, I ask you this question. What do you want? What do you want out of life more than anything else? Is it Christ? Is there something else that you want more than him? If there is, it's not worth it. Jesus tells us the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. None of it's worth it unless it's first anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly, to live in Christ is to live a life of obedience. To live a life of obedience. Uh, This past Tuesday, the Pew Foundation came out with one of their surveys. That's about all they do now. It's kind of sad because they once used to be a great Christian uh, foundation and they gave all kinds of money to different evangelical causes, but now they just do these surveys. Uh, Nevertheless, the one they did, uh, they put out on Tuesday uh, was about marriage. And they said for the first time, more young adults in America, that is 19 to 35, more young adults in America believe that it is acceptable to have an open marriage. 51%. It's never been over 50% before, but now we've crossed that line. And I thought to myself, how sad that is. Because those 51%, even if they get married, don't believe in marriage. That's not what marriage is. Marriage is, as we know, a commitment. But why do we commit ourselves in a marriage? Because we're obedient to Christ. If you read chapter 5 of Ephesians, you will see that, in fact, where Paul is talking about wives and husbands and their responsibilities, and then he says, and this is a great mystery, because I'm talking about Christ in the church. And what he's saying is, is that marriage only makes sense if, in fact, Christ is at the center of that marriage. Michael Card, who probably is my wife's favorite contemporary uh, hymn writer, and I'll paraphrase him just a bit because it's kind of long, but I was reading on something he said this week. He says, Jesus shows us when he comes into our life two critical truths. First of all, how lost we are, but then how much he loves us. And God says in Christ, I would rather die than live without you. Now, I'm going to repeat that because you might not have got it. (laughs) You might have heard we should say, I would rather die than live without you, Christ. But Michael Card says, no, God says in Christ, I would rather die than live without you. And is that not, in fact, what he did? He died so that, in fact, we could live with him for me to live as Christ. Now, there is a second half to this verse. To die is gain. And uh, you wonder why I'm only spending a little bit of time on that. Well, the reason is because I think, in many ways, the second half only magnifies the first half. That for me to live is Christ, but then to die is gain. The second half magnifies the first half. The, the second half is, is the first half on steroids. I don't think that Paul is saying, I long to die. Maybe some people interpret it like that, but you think about it. The Bible says death is the last great enemy. 
The Bible says that Jesus came to do away with death. The resurrection and the message of the resurrection is that death has been conquered. I don't think he is saying, I just want to die today. You remember when Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus and Mary and Martha were there and they were just devastated because their beloved brother was dead and they said, if you'd have come when we called, he would not have died. And what does Jesus do? Well, you think he raised him from the dead. He did, but that's not the first thing. The shortest verse in the Bible, remember, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Because he knew what death was. He understood the pain, the loss, uh, the vacuum in the life of those two ladies because of that. No. No, I, I think that he is saying you get more of the first half when you die. We were coming down the road right here, Highway 53, and uh, we come from Swanee, and so we had uh, uh, Pandora on, and we were listening to gospel hymns. That's what we do on Sunday as we're coming. And first, uh, we were listening to How Great Thou Art. Uh, but they have quite a mix, I will tell you, on that thing. And so the second one was a real bouncy thing on, on heaven. And they were saying, heaven is so wonderful. There will be no pain. There will be no more suffering. There will no be, be no more tears. Will be, And all that's true. But that's not the greatest thing about heaven. For me to live is Christ. And when I die, I get more of Christ. That's what I'm convinced that Paul is saying there. Um, all that I long for in Christ, all that I'm experiencing now, in this now but not yet, between first coming and second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of that we will be fulfilled. Everything is broken will be fixed when he comes. We can't even imagine what it will be like to be in the very presence of Christ. To... to, to to, to see him fully, not now as kind of in a, in a dark uh, cave, but to see him fully. For me to live is Christ, and to die is to get more of Christ. John Donne wrote a poem. It's one of my favorites. It goes like this. Wilt thou love God as he thee? Then die just this. How Christ does make his temple in thy breast. And then... The last phrase is this, and this is the part I like the best. "'Twas much that man was made like God before, but that God should be made like man, much more." Isn't that great? You see what it's saying? It's saying that God made us for him, but then he became like us so that he can make it possible, so that in fact we could not just be made like him, but that we could experience his presence in our life completely. That's the gospel. The gospel is when the God-man is planted in your heart, you can say this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you say that? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, this is a, a verse that, that, that does really move us. For any of us that have ever read that verse, uh, it captured our attention right away. Some of us have it underlined in our Bibles. For me to live is Christ. 
What a rich, rich truth that we were made for you and we are received into your presence through your Son. For me to live is Christ. And when we die, he will be there, standing there, welcoming us into your presence. And all that we have now will be magnified when we come into his presence and your presence in him. That's what Paul is telling us. That's what he told the Philippians. May it be a reality in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.